Today, a simple technique that can help you step out of depression, the antidepressant calendar. The Pocket Psychiatrist is your guide to a healthy brain because people need more than medications to get well. I'm Dr. Chris Aiken, the Editor-in-Chief of the Carlat Psychiatry Report. And I'm Kelly Newsom, a psychiatric nurse practitioner, and I'm living proof that this stuff works. A lot of people feel depressed from time to time, but what makes that medical illness? Actually, it's not. When people say they feel depressed, they usually mean they feel sad. The words have gotten all mixed up. But if you're suffering from clinical depression, what we call major depressive disorder, you need to understand what it's all about so you can get out of it. In this episode, we're going to give you two tools that can help you get out of depression. But first, let's clarify what depression is. Depression is not sadness. In fact, it's not a feeling at all. Depression means that energy and motivation are low. They are depressed. When people are depressed, They give up easily, they withdraw from others, and they are reluctant to try new things, take risks, or sometimes do anything at all. So depression is more about what you do than what you feel. But no doubt, people with depression often do feel sad, anxious, or they just don't feel anything at all. So emotions do get mixed up in this illness, but they are not the core of it. Really, there is no such thing as a diseased emotion. All emotions are normal from time to time, and most of us experience a pretty broad range of them throughout our lives. Emotions are signals that guide our actions. They warn us that danger is near, it's anxiety, or that something really good is going to happen, pleasure, or that it's time to step back and rethink things. That's what the emotion sadness is for. And that's where there is some overlap between sadness and depression. Sadness is when it's functional, it's working for you. And depression is where it's not working at all. So how can sadness work for you? Well, imagine you've made some mistakes at work and you've been put on probation. You're probably going to feel sad, go home and think about it all night. When you go to the office the next day, you should play it safe and not do anything that could risk your job any further. And while it may be tempting to argue with your boss about the probation, that may not turn out so well. Better to be humble and acknowledge your mistakes. In that brief story, Kelly just described some of the key symptoms of depression. Stepping back to rethink things. Now, in depression, that would be withdrawing and stewing over your problems. Playing it safe. In depression, that means feeling anxious and avoiding things that are risky or difficult. And humility. In depression, that would translate to low self-esteem and trouble asserting yourself. But the hero in that story, the one who got put on probation, was not depressed at all. So what's the difference? In that story, all these so-called symptoms are actually very functional. That's why it's not clinical depression. It's like this. We all have a lot of cards to play. We have the hopeful card, the angry card, and the depression card. And in this particular case, the depression card worked pretty well. But what if the depression card was all you had to play? What if you retreated and stewed over problems and were afraid to try new things or speak up for yourself no matter what the situation? That is clinical depression. 
And that also points to the way out of depression. It's to find a few more cards to play. Now, if you're really depressed, you may be thinking, sorry, I don't have any other cards in my hand. We get that. And that's where therapy can help. I've never met a patient whose deck was stacked 100% with depression. But even if it's 90%, a therapist can help you find those other cards to play. And if you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably not playing the depression card. Hopefully you're going to learn something new and try something new. And depression is not about doing anything new at all. One reason it's good to have a therapist to help with all this stuff is that depression can make it hard to see the possibilities or solutions even when they are right in front of our eyes. The way depression does this is by wearing down the dopamine in the brain. That's the part of the brain that finds life rewarding, meaningful, and pleasurable. When you can't feel those things, your brain is not going to light up when a good idea passes through your head, and you're not going to act on it. One patient put it this way, Depression is like you're sitting around all day doing nothing. And meanwhile, there's a movie playing in your head of all the things you should be doing, but you just can't do them, and you feel all the worse because you're not doing them. There's a reason for this, and it has to do with how the brain makes decisions and takes action. Here's how it goes. First, the frontal lobes. That's the front of the brain near the forehead. The frontal lobes generate a lot of ideas and solutions. It then sends those back to the amygdala. That's the emotional center. And the amygdala assigns emotional weight to each of the ideas, as if it was stamping them with five stars, four stars, this one's a three star, and this one's thumbs down. Then that list of ideas gets sent back up to the frontal lobes, where the final decision is made. And here's where the magic happens. The frontal lobes actually read these emotional stamps, but also apply some logic to the choices. They think through it. And somehow, it manages to strike a balance between emotion and reason, gut feelings and careful calculations. Not easy to do. And it's from that process that the frontal lobes finally pick the strongest candidate and put that idea into motion. What Dr. Aiken just described is how a healthy brain makes decisions. But let's look at what happens when the brain is depressed. The amygdala gives a thumbs down to every option, and the frontal lobes have a hard time figuring out what to do. Here's how that might play out. Suppose I've been alone all weekend and I'm starting to feel pretty bad about it, but my frontal lobes have an idea. I can call out my friend Letitia. We usually have a good time when we go out together, or I could just stay home again. Next, I'll send them down to the amygdala for review, but my amygdala just stamps them both thumbs down. They both sound terrible. Staying at home is depressing and going out is risky. My frontal lobes are left with little to work with, and I end up thinking about all the pros and cons all night without ever making a decision. I should go out, but I don't feel very social. But Letitia is so nice, but I don't want to burden her with my negativity. But she's never let me down. Yeah, but I don't want this time to be the first. I don't think I could handle that kind of rejection tonight. Sound familiar? It's like the entire decision-making apparatus in the brain is broken in depression. And, literally speaking, it is. Maybe people have told you to just do it or try harder. 
But that's like telling someone with a broken leg that they just need to walk faster. It's not that simple when you're depressed. But let's look at it a different way. If you had a broken leg, that doesn't mean you can't walk. It just means you need to use a crutch for a while or your leg's going to hurt more. And if you have a broken decision-making apparatus, that doesn't mean you can't make decisions or take action. But it does mean you're going to need a crutch to help with that until it heals. And that crutch is a technique we call the antidepressant calendar. It comes from a psychotherapy for depression called behavioral activation. And while you might get a good start with it through this podcast, it does work better when you do it with a therapist. The idea is that you really have two voices arguing with each other when you're depressed. One says stop and one says go. One says do it and the other says no. To get out of depression, we want to support do it voice. That's where the calendar comes in. Last week, we talked with Brett Stevens about how he developed a morning routine to stabilize the mood swings of bipolar disorder. Here's how he got started with the antidepressant calendar to overcome depression. I have two amazing doctors. So I have a psychiatrist and a therapist. They helped me build this whole calendar. The idea is whatever you're doing should be scheduled. So, I mean, I had depressed days where I was like, I'm not doing anything all day today. And I'd flip over and I'd feel bad for myself. But even if you can say on your calendar from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., I'm not doing anything today. You can just schedule that. You feel better because you're just like, that's fine. That's what I'm deciding to do this today. And then what I found was like, okay, medicine in the morning, afternoon, night. So we had the medicine, doctor's appointment Tuesdays and Thursdays square breathing, you know, meditating. And, and then by the end, you you have built back a life and you can see how you can move events. And it, it's just so important to have a place to like, that's yours. I actually did it on a whiteboard for a while. I highly recommend it. It's not easy, but just having something where you're telling yourself what you're doing instead of it just happening and you just like don't don't know what's happening. Interesting. Even scheduling time to do nothing sounds as important as scheduling time to do something. Yeah, because a lot of anxiety comes from not knowing and worrying. What, what should I be doing? And so when it tomorrow says, like, I'm not doing anything, as lazy and as terrible and then boring as that sounds, a way to move the needle is to just at least acknowledge that, that that's what you're doing tomorrow. People with depression often spend a lot of their time doubting and wondering, you know, indecision, what should I do? No, that's no good. No, that's not going to work out. Did you find that, that a lot of thoughts would rattle in your head and you never come to a decision? Yes. I think at a certain point, and it's all related, you know, like get the morning routine, just make your bed. Okay, now I'm, I'm making my bed. And that means I can do something. And it's not all just like completely out of my control. I think the key is if it's on your calendar, you do it. <laughs> so there are times when I felt terrible in the morning and I didn't want to do my meditating. But I just asked myself, like, well, why do I have this on the calendar? Like, I should have erased it yesterday, like, or, or even erase it now. But don't just not do something and leave it on the calendar. Like, you have to take that seriously. I think that's the key is like, no matter how you're feeling good, bad, whatever, like, if it's on the calendar, do it or don't put it on the calendar. And so I just found that to be really helpful. She actually taught me the, the calendar thing. And, you know, one day I called, I said, well, I have to work out at three and this came up at 2.30. And she, again, had to like explain to me that you can move 
calendar events around, you know, to make me feel a little more like malleable and, and it's not so rigid. Here's how you can get started. Make a list of seven things that might be worth doing next week. And they don't need to be grand. Walk in the park, watch a funny movie, clean underneath the sofa, and don't forget about self-care. Take a shower, brush your teeth. These are all good things for your calendar. Next, write them in on your calendar so you're doing one every day. This part's very important. Each one needs a time and place. It's not enough to write, walk in the park. Instead, write, walk at Grandview Park from 10 to 10.30 on Tuesday. Also, like Brett suggested, schedule some time to do nothing every day. Well, actually, it's impossible to do nothing, but you know what I mean. Sit on the porch and stare at the trees from 1 to 1.30 on Monday. Don't worry about choosing the right things. Anything will do here, and it's fine to flip a coin if you can't make up your mind. And if you can't think of anything, check out the notes for this podcast in the show notes, where we have a link to psycheducation.org's list of 150 things to try when you're depressed. The goal here is to do all the decision-making once a week when you make the calendar, because decision-making is the hard part. You want to get it knocked out ahead of time. That way, when the time comes on the calendar to do something, you don't have to go through all that mental browbeating to make the decision. You just do what's on the calendar. And if you have depression, then you know how miserable all that indecision and browbeating can be. Here's how Brett's therapist helped him clear out all that chatter and doubt in his head. My therapist had a lot of psychological tips, like the second thought, for example, he would say, your first thought is wired in. So when that first thought says like, I can't do this, this is not happening. He said, don't necessarily try to change or do anything with that thought. The second thought is the one that, that you want to pay attention to. Well, is that really true? You know, I think I went in one time, I said, I can't drive. And he was like, well, how'd you get here? I said, I, I drove. <laughs> and so it just, it was just kind of hit home that you know, I'm wired to, to hear certain things. And, and, and if I can just let that first one go. If you'd like to read more, a good book on behavioral activation is Overcoming Depression One Step at a Time by Michael Addis and Christopher Martell from 2004. Brett Stevens is the author of Crossover, A Look Inside a Manic Mind, and the follow-up book Crossing Back Over, The Practice of Owning and Accepting Bipolar Disorder. Thanks for listening, and if you like this podcast, let us know by leaving a review in your Apple Store. We read them all. We'll be back on the first Monday of every month, next time with a guide to better sleep. The Carlat Report is an independent publisher of all things psychiatric. Its books, journals, and podcasts have operated free of advertising and pharmaceutical industry support since 2003.